2: Hi, my name's Mara. This episode of the Radioactive Show was produced on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people for 3CR Melbourne. On today's show, we share some of the launch of the latest report by the Mineral Policy Institute and CCWA, a blueprint for managing the risks associated with uranium mining while providing new hope and real opportunities to protect WA from the threat of uranium mining in a lasting and meaningful way. We'll start with MC and nuclear-free campaigner K.A. Garlick and then we'll hear from Steve McCartney, State Secretary of the WAAMWU and Mia Pepper, Deputy Chair of the Mineral Policy Institute.
1: Tonight we are meeting on Wadjuk Noongar Butcher, and pay my respects to the Elders past and present um, and those that are emerging. And I acknowledge that sovereignty over this land was never ceded and it was always, was and always will be Aboriginal land. Tonight, we're excited to launch the uh, next stage of the WA nuclear-free campaign with the report Beyond Uranium Mining, A Road to Nuclear-Free Future for WA. This this report is about a culmination of the powerful um, and sustained story of resistance while also providing a blueprint for managing the risks associated with uranium mining, um, and it also highlights the new hope um, and the real opportunities to protect WA. From the threat of uranium mining in a lasting and meaningful way. As you know, um, the environmental approvals for the four proposed uranium mines, Kintyre, Waluna, Yiliri, and Mulga Rock were fast-tracked by the Barnett government in an attempt to establish this industry, this uranium mining industry in WA. In addition, uranium exploration activities have been undertaken during the Barnett government, which has left a legacy of uranium exploration sites across WA. But tonight, AMWU State Secretary Steve McCartney, Deputy Chair of Mineral Policy Institute Mia Pepper and CCWA's President Carmen Lawrence will be launching the report um, and highlighting this powerful and sustained story of resistance and the depth and connection and um, the continuance of support for communities. Um, at the forefront of these proposed uranium projects. We have a very powerful and um, special film uh, that features voices uh, from traditional owners from all the four areas, um, and then the presentations will be followed by question and answer session. And a special shout-out to those, as I said, to um, those joining us online. It's a bit tricky, and we're a bit short on staff today um, with some of the CCD, CCWA um, staff members being sick and so I'm sort of multitasking I shouldn't be doing the tech stuff and MC, but that's what you do you just have to roll with it sometimes and we're used to in this campaign and many others know what it's like just to keep rolling and um, and that's why it's been such a powerful campaign. One of the projects that we're currently working on um is a photographic booklet um of Yuliri um, that Yuliri has been um For 50 years now, um, the communities have resisted this um, um, project and in the research we've been finding media articles dating back to the mid-70s of opposing uranium mining for many people, but in particular the staunch trade union movement. Back then it was the Trades and Labor Council and today Steve McCartney, the State Secretary of the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union, continues this legacy. He is one of our strongest outspoken allies who continues to maintain um, advocate um, for no uranium mining in Western Australia. The AMWU work towards protecting their workers and have been concerned about the hazards of uranium mining for a very long time. Steve has always got time for our campaign and to have a chat with us, although lately we haven't caught up with him, so it's great to see him here tonight. And um, it's with great pleasure that I welcome Steve McCartney to the stage.
3: I stand on the shoulders of um, the Tony Cooks and the... Keith Peckham's and the Wally Pritchards of uh, Western Australia that took this fight on before I was engaged in it at all. But what what I did do growing up and uh, growing up with these people as mentors and people that I looked up to was that uh, I got a better I got a good understanding about what was right for workers and what was right for the country are using the same thing. And uh, I think we also learned a very valuable lesson with asbestos, uh, especially. Uh, mining industry and, uh, and also uh, people in the maritime union and also people in manufacturing as well. Uh, and maintenance, we're doing work on those particular gear and still suffer today and some of their families are still, fu- still suffering, whether it be loss or um, uh, uh, helping the people that are still trying to survive that horrible disease. So for a long time, we've always been uh, aware and making sure that our members are working in a safe environment. And we don't see uranium as anywhere near a safe environment for workers to work. You know, I put the asbestos test on nearly everything. Uh, If they want want me to make a decision about going in to support a mining operation or supporting operation anywhere, one thing I'll I'll make sure of, is if they're going to be digging it up, it's not going to affect the people that are working on it and digging it up. It's not going to affect the people where you transport it, and it's not going to affect the end user. And I can't see any situation where uranium is mined, where it doesn't fail those three tests. Uh, it affects the people that dig it up to the point where they have to wear radiation identification marks to make sure they don't absorb too much. And for a little while in the past, they didn't have it coordinated, sorry, nationally. So you could work in Adelaide and move too, too far on your metre and then go get a job in the next mine and make that your starting point. So that happened continually until it became a national event because when people work in those industries, they knew how they, they knew that that's where they are going to make their money. I think they disregarded the safety aspect of it and maybe didn't believe in it. But I'm sure they're paying a price now, you know. Once one, the first step for making it a little bit safer was, I think, nationalising the whole thing and making sure that we had a national standard for this horrible stuff. I hope the next national standard is we eradicate it completely and never use it again. And you know what I what I wanted to speak about uh, at the uh, at the, uh, the national ALP uh, conference was about. Um, uh, rum jungle. You know, how can we justify absolutely doing anything to do with uranium in the future when we haven't actually fixed up the past? You know, when rum, rum jungle is still alive and well, still becomes an issue for people and countrymen, you know, people on their country still can't go back to rum jungle uh, from 1956 and now it's in the 2021. And what sort of legacy do we leave our country if we do do that? And that's the sort of education that we got off the Tony Cooks, the Keith Peckhams and others early on in our trade history and our trade understanding and my education as a trade, as a trade genius. And as the President of the Trades and Labor Council, I hope I'm continuing that, on, that legacy on. Because like you and your family, uh, we want to make sure people in our industry uh, maintain a legacy that it protects workers it ensures that families are going to be protected when, the, when their husband come, or husband or partner comes home from work, and make sure that the end product doesn't affect the whole community. We're a left socialist union, and when we rise the wages and conditions of workers, we want to rise the social minimums as well. And it's the same about safety. We're going down. We're going down the road at the moment in Western Australia to build probably one of the best um, state safety regimes for workers uh, that we've had in a very very long time. Thanks to, the, thanks to the government that we've got in place now. What we want to do is exactly the same thing, but with uranium. We want to make it safe for workers. We want to make it safe for people. We want to make it safe for transport. This is a golden opportunity for this government. If you read this document, and if you understand that these uh, EPA's uh, approvals are all coming up again, you know, and if you see the good policies that the ALP has got uh, that say how they, they don't want uranium mining how they want to make sure that we don't have the scourge of uranium mining, this is their opportunity. This is our opportunity as a state to make sure that we get a position from the government that says we're not going to look at those EPA uh, proposals anymore because we know the general outcome, no matter what they happen to rig the figures and make it sound like for an EPA approval when they, you know, what is it? The answer to pollution is dilution. So uh, when you're talking about the Ranger mine, and our first countrymen, countrymen are down there at the local watering hole where they've gone all their lives for, for, their, for their whole past, right? And it's declared by a ranger that 0.005 is a safe level uh, of radiation, but they don't dare measure it in the wet because in the wet it goes straight down through the tailings dam and straight back into that pool. And when you've got a life expectancy of about 43 as a nation in that area, you've got to ask yourself the question, are we responsible by even letting this happen in the first place? And what we're going to be asking the state government and what we're asking people like yourselves and like other people inside the union movement to all push this opportunity, this opportunity to say, no, we don't want to approve those. We don't want to approve those EPAs. We don't want that to happen. Because even if your figures say it's okay, we know Rum Jungle tells us, Rum Jungle tells us that it's not okay. The people that are dying at 43 at Ranger, they saying it's not OK. And the union movement is saying it's not OK. Thanks for your time.
2: You're listening to The Radioactive Show, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We just heard from K.A. Garlic from CCWA and Steve McCartney from the WA AMWU about the new report by the Mineral Policy Institute and CCWA, The Road to a Nuclear-Free Future. Next, we'll hear from Deputy Chair of the Mineral Policy Institute, Mia Pepper.
0: Many of you will know that when the uh, Liberal Barnett government came into power, they lifted a long, long-standing ban on uranium mining and it was at a time when the uranium price was yeah, fluctuating but it was still relatively high and valuable and we saw just a huge uh, scourge of uranium exploration across the state and there were eighty-five. Um, known uranium exploration projects across the state. Um, What's really interesting now is that the uranium price is low and we've got an anti-uranium government in power, is that those companies have started to disappear. And now the risk, and and like Steve mentioned with Rum Jungle, um, there is a legacy even from exploration mining Um, and what we want to avoid now is that those companies depart before they have and we have ensured that the rehabilitation of those exploration sites has happened. So what was really interesting when we first looked at all the companies um, and the 85 sites was that there were still quite a lot of active sites and sites that had owners or holders. And in the last six months, we've seen a doubling of projects or sites without an owner so the risk of these companies abandoning ship without rehabilitating is is real and one that we want to avoid from happening so with any mining tenement there are there are requirements to rehabilitate it's a big project and that would be a good one if anyone wants to volunteer to actually go through and track what all of those requirements are for these 85 sites and many of those 85 sites have a number of tenements Um, but what we would really like from this government is some dedicated uh, pressure on those companies that still exist to ensure that they are rehabilitated or require bonds so that the government can ensure that there's funding to rehabilitate those sites. So as we've already said In these last 10 years, um, you know, when Barnett, you know, was promising that there was going to be thousands of jobs and billions of dollars of investment and um, at least 10 mines, we've got none. There are no active mines in WA, which is just so fantastic and we're really happy about. But there are four conditionally approved mines. The Kintyre project. That approval expired in March 2020. And this one's a really interesting one because it's now well over 12 months and they still don't have an amendment to that condition. So they never, um, they we understand that they sought to get an extension and then they withdrew that. So they can't mine. That condition three prevents Kamiko uh, from mining at Kintyre right now. Um, Mulga Rock, their uh, approval expires in December and Yaliri and Waluna they both expire in January 2022. So beyond January 2022, if all goes well, there will be no mine that can commence mining in WA because of that condition. So that that removes the environmental approval barrier. Um, The tricky bit is, now for sub, what does substantial commencement mean? So um, with with Yaliri, with Kintyre, with Waluna, there's really, the companies are really not seeking to progress those mines in the next six months. The one that we're worried about is Mogul Rock. Um, and Mogul Rock is actively using this language, substantial commencement. They're trying to say, we will be, we will have substantially commenced mining by December 2021. That's what they're telling their shareholders. Um, And so we've started asking the question, well, what what is substantial commencement? And there is no definition in the Mining Act or in the Environmental Protection Act. So it's a sticking point. Um, And this is what we think substantial commencement should be, that it's all of the secondary approvals everything, permits, licensing, agreements, particularly an Indigenous land use agreement. The second one is a financial investment decision. So a company needs to make that decision um, and they need to get financing and that would demonstrate substantial commencement. And then the third one, active on the ground construction. And what we're really worried about and what we think Vimy Resources, who are driving the Mogul Rock project think, is that they would only need to tick that third one, active on-the-ground construction. And what that would do is mean that if that was the only benchmark that this government considered, it would be sending a signal to the mining industry, if you do strategic environmental destruction, if you start clearing land and pouring concrete, you're over the line. And that's really dangerous. It's the worst possible outcome because what you would see is companies like Vimy Resources scrambling to make that footprint in a, you know, in an almost pristine environment, um, just to prove this, just to hold on to that environmental approval. And so that's what we're worried about between now and December is that Vimy is seeking to do that. So they're they're seeking clearing permits. Um, They've got works approval applications in before the Department of Environment. They've got an active mine closure plan and mine plan before the Department of Mines. Um, And if they get that works approval, um, we think that they'll start clearing land, pouring concrete and try to prove that they've made substantial commencement. And what we're advocating for is that that can't be the only benchmark for this government to consider. All I really think that it's so important to understand is that um, that really Yaliri and Kintyre, they're owned by a huge company, Cameco, based in Canada, who mine uranium. Um, they've got a lot of operating mines. They've got mines in care and maintenance, um, and they've downscaled production because of the low uranium price. And so before they even think about starting Yaliri or Kintyre, they would ramp up production at their existing mines. Um, so, yeah, there's really no immediate risk for Elyria and Kintyre to start. they well, Luna, they've, they had an original project that got approved in 2013. Um, they could see that that project wasn't feasible, so they expanded it. They got approval for that. They're saying now to their shareholders that that's not feasible either and they're looking at a new project altogether and they've started looking for nickel and gold. Um, so Waluna is really dead in the water. But Mulga Rock, and we think Mulga Rock is not feasible. Um, we know that Mulga Rock is in, a, in the yellow sand plain priority ecological community. It's home to the rare and endangered Sandhill Dunnart, um, the migratory Rainbow Bee Eda visits Rock. It's an important and beautiful part of the world and it's also part of a story of, of really generations of nuclear um, displacement. So Rock is close to a community called um, Kunana and before that it was Kundalit where Spinifex people people known as Spinifex people um, were moved off their country in South Australia from the Maralinga weapons testing and resettled there and joined with Wonga People um, and looked after that area and that country. And now again, um, that community is being threatened by the other end of the the nuclear cycle, uranium mining, Um, and they've got an active, there's an active native title claim in this area, the Upali-Upali Narada people. And um, Mogul Rock has, I mean, Vimy Resources, sorry, has for the longest time denied, actively denied, people's connection to this country, which we think is wrong and hurtful. Um, And they're now in a position where they have to negotiate. So um, they're a long way from getting social licence for this project. Um, And, yeah. But they are really ideologically driven. They want this mind. They've got a clear deadline, and they're doing everything they can to try and um, to try and get over the line before December this year. So, I just it's really we're just really grateful for the opportunity to talk to everyone about that one tonight and put that on your radar so that you know. Um, If there's anything that you can do or anything to watch in this campaign, it's what happens with Vimy Resources and Mulga Rock between now and December. Um, The broader nuclear landscape and why Mulga Rock is so crazy is that the uranium price has been stagnant for so long. Um, And Toro's chairman uh, in July put it perfectly no one can get financing for a uranium mine in Australia. You know, what is even more dangerous than a uranium mine is an uneconomic uranium mine because that's when you see companies walk away and leave a terrible mess for governments to clean up. Beyond uranium mining, if we look globally, there's a lot happening around nuclear power at the moment. Um, As the world wakes up to climate change and starts to take that seriously, the nuclear industry have really put it upon themselves to try and be um, the next in line, the alternative to coal. Um, and they've, you know, invested a lot of time in lobbying uh, governments. And we saw just two weeks ago someone in the Nationals put forward a motion, an amendment in federal parliament to lift the ban on nuclear power in Australia. Um, and we'll see we'll see it again and again and again. Um, but, you know, we're fortunate that, both the ALP and the Liberal Party um, oppose nuclear power. Well, the Liberal Party keeps saying it would need bipartisan support and the ALP is and we hope will remain very strongly opposed to nuclear power for all of the reasons Steve mentioned before. Um, But the good news is that we are seeing huge growth in renewable energy um, and for the first time, it's overtaken nuclear. um, And if you add in other types of renewable energy, it surpasses nuclear quite quite a lot. Um, Of the 415 reactors, what's really um, confronting at the moment in the changing climate is that over, well over half of them, 350 of those um, are now operating at, have been operating for 30 years. And a bunch of those have been operating for 40 years. So they're operating well towards the end of their their design life. um, And a lot of them will have to be um, decommissioned very soon. Um, That's really important to know because lots of uh, nuclear power companies are trying to push out the, the lifespan. So they're trying to get extensions to operate them beyond their design life. Um, and that's, that's risky for a, um, a whole lot of reasons, but mostly um, in the context of climate change is because they weren't designed with climate change in mind and, and what, what we're about to face. Um, the other figure is the, the 53 under construction and the 93 of abandoned constructions. But 53 um, of those reactors have been under construction um, for over a decade um, and some of them have been under construction for over 30 years, the industry is going to struggle to maintain status quo. So the demand for uranium um, will continue to stay low and stagnant and the demand for uranium slow and stagnant, which I guess takes us to the asks because really there is no better time than with a anti-uranium mining government in power with the end of any kind of binding environmental approvals for these four projects there is no better time than beyond January 2022 to legislate against uranium mining in Australia in Western Australia so we've got the policy ban from this government but what we really want is to legislate that ban so when when a liberal government may maybe not actually in WA but at some point in the future, if they ever came into power again, um, you could foresee that those companies would try to um, seek to change that condition to reactivate their environmental approval. And so the strongest protection, the pathway out of all of this is to legislate a ban on uranium mining. And so beyond January 2022, the campaign will really be focused on, well, let's do that, let's lock that in. The industry is going down. Um, We know the risks, we know the dangers, Um, let's just protect ourselves, give communities who have been fighting for nearly 50 years the peace of mind to know that their country is, is safe and protected from this toxic industry. The other two asks are, yeah, that the 85 exploration sites be rehabilitated and that beyond January 2022, that none of those four proposed mines have their environmental approvals extended um so yeah we really look forward to working with everybody to get those three asks over the line um clean up country and protect country and move on because there's plenty of other fights
2: to fight and we'd rather not fight this one anymore (laughs) that was mia pepper deputy chair of the mineral policy institute before that, we heard from Steve McCartney, State Secretary of the WA-AMWU, and K.A. Garlick from CCWA. They spoke at the launch of the new report from CCWA and MPI, The Road to a Nuclear-Free Future, updating us about the current approvals, rehabilitation requirements for existing uranium exploration sites, and the move to legislate a ban on all uranium mining. You can read the report at www.ccwa.org.au slash nuclearfreewa. The background music in this show is from Uncle Ben Taylor-Kamira's Welcome to Country at the report launch. Thanks for listening to The Radioactive Show. You can download the podcast of this program at 3cr.org.au slash radioactive. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email us on radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The Radioactive Show was produced with the support of Friends of the Earth's Nuclear Free Collective for 3CR Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Fitzroy, Victoria. It's broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear, peace and energy issues.